So last week at retreat, <clears throat> I get word, Israel's at war. <laughs> what? Oh, at war? Oh, well, that happens all the time, doesn't it? Okay, aren't people always shooting missiles at Israel, and doesn't that happen for a few days, and then it's over? You know, this has been my whole lifetime. Well, guys, war was actually declared. Now, there's been fighting, right? But they haven't declared war in 50 years since the Yom Kippur War. This is the second time they've actually declared this a war. So this is a pretty big deal. So, of course, I get home and I jump online to see, hey, what's happening? Well, that's all that's online. That's all the headlines. And it's just crazy because we're told in Zechariah that in the last days that the that Israel, Jerusalem specifically, will be a cup of trembling to all nations. Well, that's been my lifetime. Israel's always been in the news. And why is that? Because Israel, if you study the scriptures, is God's time clock, okay? And he said that in the last days, the last of the last days, that Israel would come back into the land and be restored. And you guys know what? That happened in 1948. We're living in a very unique time in history. Now, this morning, I don't want to necessarily give a prophetic update biblically, okay? You guys are well taught here. Uh, a couple years ago, we did three weeks on why Israel matters. You can find those teachings online. The third one we did specifically deals with prophecy concerning the last days, Ezekiel 38 and 39, Isaiah 17, and then uh, Zechariah 12 and 14. We got into all those scriptures and what that looks like. And this is not Revelation 12. I saw someone going off on that. That is when the Antichrist gathers all the nations to come against Israel. That is yet future. You guys understand this. And some people, because of Israel, they're trying to figure out eschatology. We have a lot of people within the church, different denominations, specifically the Reformed camp. They're right now trying to figure out what do we do with eschatology because we've been teaching everybody forever that the church has replaced Israel. Well, they haven't. The Bible says that God's not done with Israel. He is the apple of their eye. He has the everlasting covenant with them. He said he would bring them back into the land in the last days. This stuff is happening, so we have a bunch of Christians today trying to work out their eschatology. Well, they should have it figured out. The Bible is very clear about what's happening. And the thing that's really neat, because yesterday I had a sister in the Lord say, hey, I'm freaking out, I'm scared, I'm fearful about what's going on right now. We don't need to be freaking out. Okay, Luke 21, 28, Matthew 24. Hey, when you see these things begin to happen, Jesus says, don't be tripping. What does he say? Hey, your redemption draws nigh. Look up. We should be getting excited as believers if we believe what God says about the last days and about Israel. Now, is this Ezekiel 38, 39? No, there's certain things that have to go down for that to happen. Now, can things be falling into place for that Absolutely. We see Iran, right? Persia spoken of there in those prophecies. Iran's going to be a player, and they're the ones that support Hamas. You guys have been watching the news, okay? And we have been giving them money, and they give it to these terrorist groups. What the heck are we thinking, right? Well, all nations are going to come against Israel in the last days. So anyways, this is not to be a prophetic update this morning. This morning is Update is we need to do what God asks us to do concerning Israel. We have flags in our windows here, so everybody coming down the main drag here in town gets to see, hey, here's a church that actually cares about Israel. Why do they care about Israel? Because God has commanded us in Psalm 122 to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
Now, a few of you got to go with us over to Israel just a couple years ago, three years ago. It was right before the pandemic hit. We got home just in time. Otherwise, we would have had to stay in Israel. Oh, bummer. It's so cool over there. But it's cool because they have people from all over the world. Like the thing that was the coolest part of that trip for me was seeing brothers and sisters from all different nations, all different tongues, all had come to Jerusalem. And they are there giving thanks and worshiping the Lord. Do you guys understand that that's God's intent? Jerusalem is to be a place, and I saw that firsthand. I'm like, this is rad, Lord. Why do you think Satan's so fixed on the destruction of Israel? Because he doesn't want anybody worshiping the true and living God. Okay, so we need to be praying for their peace. That's what God's commanded us to do. And we know that there are people today that want to utterly destroy Israel. Do you guys know what Hamas actually means? destruction. The Hebrew word Hamas comes up four times in the scriptures. The first one is in Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 where God says he's looking at the earth okay, and it is filled and he is upset, he's undone about all the violence, the Hamas. Hamas means violence or destruction. So God saw the Hamas and that's why judgment came. And then the really cool part, we have a men's study here on Thursday morning. We've just been working through. We've been through the Bible five times every verse. We're on our fifth time through the Bible. And we were in Habakkuk. Turn there real quick. This was this Thursday morning. We read in Habakkuk. And this is the last time that we see the word Hamas come up in the scriptures. And we're going to look at chapter 1. Where's Habakkuk? That's in the old part towards the end. We're in the minor prophets, which this week we're going to get into Zephaniah. So if any of you men want to come out, 7 a.m. Thursday mornings, we're here every week just going through the scriptures. It is a great time in God's word. Um, There we go. Habakkuk. We read this Thursday morning. In verse 4, it says, Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Okay? Uh, I'm lying. It's the verse right before that. That's the reason why. Look at verse 3. Why do you show me iniquity, God asks, and cause me to see trouble? So God's asking this question. What does he say? For plundering and violence, or Hamas, are before me. So what is God seeing? He hates destruction. He hates violence. He does not like what's going down, and that's why he has asked us to pray for peace, for his shalom. And we know there's not going to be perfect peace in the Middle East, in Jerusalem, until the Prince of Peace returns. And we look forward to that day. So we're going to take a moment just to pray together in agreement for the peace of Jerusalem. And I don't know about you guys, but don't your spirits cry out, Maranatha, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I hear about this war, and that's the first thing that went through my head. I'm like, Jesus, you need to come back. This is getting ridiculous. This needs to stop, and there's not going to be peace. People are going to keep hating on the Jewish people. Tonight, we're doing God's Girls. We're looking at Esther together. I mean, that's thousands of years ago. They wanted to kill the Jewish people. Why? Because this is God's chosen people, and that's just the way it's going to be. The enemy hates them. So let's pray together. Father, we are mindful this morning. God, we don't want to be ignorant of what's going on in the world. God, and we are thankful that you told us not to be troubled, 
to have hearts that aren't troubled, that you were going to tell us things ahead of time so that we know that you are in control, that you see it all together. And these things must happen. And there is a world that is completely just in rebellion to you. They hate you. They hate your people. It's just a lot of evil. And we know that you are good. And we know that you alone, Father, can restore to make things new again. That's your business, and that's what you're doing. That's what you've done in so many of our lives, and we're thankful for that. And we want to be mindful this morning as we see war taking place in Israel. God, we want to pray and pray for your peace. We know a lot of the Palestinians, Lord, they want to be at peace. They're not even in agreement with what uh, so many are doing, what Hamas, these terrorist groups are up to. God, we pray that you would meet all of them. Lord, those that um, just have hate in their hearts, those who think they're right and have chosen peace in their hearts. Regardless, Lord, we're all sinners and we're all in need of you. There are Jewish people today whose eyes are veiled. God, they don't see you, Jesus. They have missed their Messiah. We just pray that through all of this that you would be saving many. We know that is your heart and your desire. So please, we ask in your name that you'd be turning hearts to yourself through this. We pray for these families who've lost loved ones. God, murder. God, that as they grieve this loss, that you would be near to them, that you would comfort them. God, we pray for those who are making decisions there in Israel on how best to defend and what's needed. God, just give them wisdom and insight there. And we do pray as the world is onlooking and watching. Father, your word speaks so clearly about all of this stuff, and yet no one's going to look to you and what you say. Everybody has their opinions, but we know that you're right. We know that these things must take place. We thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you that you've told us to look to you because our Redeemer draws nigh, and we look forward to that day in which you come back and you set things right. And we pray that day would come quickly, because we are in a world that is just so lost. We need you, God. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen? Amen. By the way, if any of you guys want to talk Israel, I love Israel. <laughs> we can talk. But this morning, we're going to get back to our study of 2 Corinthians. So if you would please turn there in your Bibles. We had Pastor Bernard here last week. I get together with Bernard every Tuesday morning. He's in his 80s, faithfully preached God's word for over 50 years, planted a church there out in Black Creek. Okay. He's the guy who led Reggie White to the Lord. He used to pastor down, I think it was near Cleveland, down there. Ended up discipling his whole family, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, just a faithful brother. Okay, He's a guy who has been retired for a few years now, but you guys know that he's out knocking on all his neighbors' doors, carrying the gospel of John, sharing Jesus Christ, asking his neighbors, how can I pray for you? And sharing the good news. Just a faithful brother, taking care of his wife. What a blessing. If you guys missed that study last week, it is online. But this morning, we're going to get into uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 together, which is quite fitting in light of considering Israel this morning 
and praying for them because we're going to be dealing uh, with the Jewish people here um, with a letter that was written to who? Gentile believers. So God cares very much about Jewish people, and he wants us as Gentile believers to get a grasp on this too. And let us not be those people who've not rightly divided the word, who say, God, you're, you're wrong. Your everlasting covenant really wasn't everlasting. You're done with the Jews. They, they blew it. They messed up. They crucified the Messiah. Therefore, God, you're finished with them. No, God's not done with them. Um, and he's faithful to his word, and we see that playing out even today. So, um, have you guys ever truly cried before the Lord? Like, really cried out? I hope so. But sometimes as we cry out to God, the cry might be, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? <laughs> Why'd you leave me here? <laughs> I think it's vital for us uh, day by day that we live within the conceptual framework that God has set in the ways we approach life, the way we think about things, okay, what we do, how we grow as a Christian. Do you guys know that there is a work God is doing in us? And it's not just sanctification, okay? He is changing. There's a glorification, glory upon glory. He is changing us. He's doing a work within our lives. So as we see the gospel of Christ, it really doesn't just illuminate for you and I the darkness in our lives. You guys know that we're all sinners, right? I shared, oh, I had a great conversation earlier this week. How many of you guys have been in the Lord for a while in as you walk with him and you grow in him, the closer you get to him, the more of a sinner you feel like. You're like, oh, I'm oh, a mess, right? Okay, and that's what happens because he is light. And that light will expose things. And it's just like, you know what? I, I shouldn't feel this way, but it's one of those things. He is holy, holy, holy. He's holy other. And this is what he's wanting to work in us. He's wanting to change us and to grow us. And those things need to be revealed. So um, God wants to transform us. He does this through sanctification a little by little. And increasingly, the goal is to have his kids resemble him, okay, morally, spiritually, in our character to be more like Jesus, and you guys know that character matters a lot. It matters to God. And aren't you guys glad for the character of God? I sure am. A lot of us don't really think about that. We should as Christians. That's all I think about. Like, God, you are really good. You are so loving. You are so patient with me. Like, we think about who he is, his true character. And then it's just like, and by the way, this is what you want me to be like. Okay. I'm so far from that. <laughs> I need your help. And aren't you glad that God hasn't just left us a bunch of rules and say, hey, just do this and then it will happen. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But four things this morning, four comparisons that we're going to find as we look into chapter three here. It's going to contrast the Old Testament to the New Testament for you and I. It's going to look at the law and grace, okay? Old Testament, New Testament. We're going to look at being, you know, from the tablets of stone to these tablets of flesh, from death to life, from this fading glory to lasting glory, 
from bondage to freedom. Does that sound pretty cool? Sounds cool to me. So let's take a look here at the first three verses. We're going to look at these tablets of stone. It says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or do we need as some other epistles of commendation uh, to you, letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles, Paul says, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, a letter of Jesus, so the world can see, right? Ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. So these commendations, these credentials that Paul brings up here in verse 1 for us, you know, Paul here defends himself against these Jewish legalists. Well, what's a legalist, Landon? We talked a lot about that last weekend at the retreat. That was the context of bearing one another's burdens. Because what is it, guys? We want to take the burden of the law. I have to do this. I have to do that. I asked my good Catholic friend, how do you know you're getting to heaven? Well, I'm hoping I'm good enough to get there someday. Well, guys, that is legalism. I'm trying to keep the law. I'm trying to do that. And you guys can ask any religion in the world. That's what they're hoping. Okay? These terrorists today, Hamas, they believe in a God. His name's Allah. He's not real. I believe it's Satan at work deceiving these people. But for the Muslim, they're taught in the Quran, they have scales. And if they have more good than bad, they might get in. It's not even guaranteed. But that's how they live. Am I good enough? And that's what religion teaches. Have you done enough good? Did you do it? And that's legalism. Do you guys get that? You keep the rules and the regulations. Then you'll get in someday. I don't know about you guys, but we've fallen short, haven't we? We've broken the law of God. So... Don't worry, we'll get to the gospel in a little bit. We'll come back to that. Uh, you guys can jump, jump back to Romans, two books, right before 1 Corinthians, last chapter, verse 16. I want to share with you guys uh, one of these letters of commendation because it was very popular in Paul's day for people to write these letters. Hey, this person's legit. They have these credentials, and Paul sees the need to give one of them in chapter 16, we'll take a look at the first two verses. He says, I commend to you, Phoebe, our sister. So this is a believer who is a servant of the church there in Chichira, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many in myself only. So here's Paul writing a letter. Hey, the sister take care of her, okay? She's a servant of the Most High God. She's legit. So he saw that need. So Paul here, he says that he needs no letter of commendation. That's what he's saying in 2 Corinthians 13 because the Corinthian believers were his commendation. I want us to think through that for a second. I don't need a letter. It's people, Okay? They're going to be the legit creditation to my apostleship, my calling, my service of the Lord. 
So the change in their character in the life of these Corinthians were the combination, all the combinations that they needed. And he says, not with ink. I found that cool because years earlier, Plato said, the good teacher does not write his message in ink that will fade, but writes it upon men. Pretty cool, huh? So you guys can jot down Job 23 and 20, or sorry, verse 23 and 24 of chapter 19. And it says there, oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inspired in the book, that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and led forever. Now, this is what Jesus has done, brothers and sisters, and I want you to catch this. He wrote his message upon these Corinthians' hearts. You guys get what God has done. He's done this in their lives through his servant, Paul. And it's not with this fading ink, but with this permanent marker, okay? Spirit marker, we can call it. Not on tablets of stone as it was first written, but on tablets of their hearts. Now, we need to understand that the law is external, isn't it? It's what we do. The rules, the regulations, Okay, you hold tablets of stone. We recently went through the Big Ten, right? The law of God was written on tablets of stone. Well, it could never change a life, could it? What is that going to do for us? It doesn't change anything. It just makes known what God wants, okay? I mean, we have a lot of people here this morning, Okay? Have any of you here kept all ten of the commandments? There's a lot of you. Is there at least one of you? I've broken all ten. That's how guilty I am. You've cheated on your wife, Sonny? How could you cheat on Sonny? Hey, Jesus said if you commit adultery, or I mean lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So according to God, and he looks at the heart, man, I'm an adulterer. I'm also a murderer. Have you ever hated anybody? Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you've committed murder. Oh, boy. Guess what, guys? We're all guilty. Yeah, I've lied a lot. I've stolen a lot. I've broken all the law. Knowing it isn't doing much, is it? So let's consider the internal ministry, the New Testament. It's the Spirit of God living inside and empowering you. Do you guys see the distinction and the difference here? And that's what Paul is getting at for you and I this morning. We ought to be Christians in large type, with bold font, underlined, highlighted, with an exclamation point. Okay, why? Because we're a new creation, as Jeremiah told us there from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, right? Old things have passed away. The Spirit of God now lives within us. The law only reveals sin. It cannot do anything about it. That's all the law does. In Galatians, it tells us that the Ten Commandments, the law was given by God, and all it is is a tutor or a schoolmaster to point us to Jesus. And that's why Christianity is so different, radically different than every other religion in the world, because it's all about what God has done, because we can't do it. So verse 2 This little phrase, all men, 
Do you guys know that Christianity is essentially a lay ministry or a movement? Think about that. How many professionals do we have in this room today? We're normal people who've been called by God, been set free, who've come to faith in Jesus Christ, been born again of the spirit of the living God. And it's cool to think about every believer is an open letter for Jesus. Every believer is an advertisement for Christianity. Didn't we just read last time in chapter 2 that we are the fragrance of Christ to everyone? Whether you like it or not, we are the fragrance of Christ. But I haven't been doing that well. Again, it's not about what we do. It's about who God is and is God in you or not. Are you born again or not? Because if he is in you, things are going to start to change. How many of you guys, when you came to faith in Christ, you've been given the spirit of God, and it's just like, all right, things are starting to change now. Things I wanted to do that I couldn't do, God is helping me to do it now. What's going on? And he keeps doing that, and he keeps sanctifying us and changing us. Don't we judge a store by the quality of the goods it sells? And we judge a craftsman by the work quality. And we judge the church by the type of Christians it produces. And therefore, the world judges Christ by his followers. And this is my rub in life, guys. I don't want to be legalistic. I believe God has allowed me a grace to grasp his grace. You guys feel like that sometimes? Like, man, why do I get your grace? Why do I understand this? Like, everybody needs to know this. This is what it's all about. And I can be very gracious towards people, but where I get rubbed and I find like a struggle with legalism is when Christians misrepresent Jesus and especially those in leadership. You guys know that the Bible says leaders will receive a stricter judgment, okay? And I get very critical and very critical of myself if I'm honest with you guys. I've told you that before. But I feel like God deserves so much better. The church should be doing so much more in living loud, in living in faith, that we are a beautiful witness to the world. But when the world looks at the church, what do they look and see? There's a bunch of fighting, a bunch of denominations I can't get together, a bunch of yahoos, you know, saying this, doing that. Why would a Christian do that? Why do they say this and they don't do it? That's what the world's seeing. And I feel like God deserves so much better. If we are his, we should walk with him in the newness of life, okay? Are we still gonna sin? Yeah. But does the world see that we're quick to repent? When we do somebody wrong, when we've harmed our neighbor, do we go and apologize? I am so sorry. That was wrong. I sinned against you. Would you please forgive me? That's not the type of man I wanna be. It's not the type of man that God wants me to be. I am sorry. I think God, do you get, I don't know. That's where I get rubbed but I don't want it to become a legalistic thing because, again, it comes back to what? The doing. And it's all about Jesus. But if we are Jesus' church, <laughs> we should represent him well. And that's why we need each other. That's why we bear one another's burdens. That's why we're here at church, okay? Again, we're not saved by going to church. Why do we go to church? Because I get to be in fellowship. I get to worship with brothers and sisters. Things happen in my life when I worship Sanctify them by my word or by your word. 
Your word is truth. John 17, 17, as we're in God's word, things change. Do you guys believe that it's living and powerful, that our minds are renewed when we get into God's word? I do, because that's what I've experienced. And why do we do this? Because this is what God's asked us to do. Why do we preach the word at freedom? Because God's asked us to do that. We want to be changed. We want to be walking in a way that honors him. I want to share with you guys something that Dick uh, Shepherd said. He said, the greatest handicap of the church has, has is the unsatisfactory uh, lives of professing Christians. That hit me. So sideliners, I want to encourage you to get in the game. Live your faith. Do it. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming other people. Do what God's asked you to do, not in a legalistic way, but because of our God. He is worthy. He has changed us. He's given us the helper to live a life that honors him. So when we step out into the world every day, we're open letters. You profess yourself to be a Christian. How do people see that? And they're watching. If people know you're a Christian, they're actually watching. And they have questions. Why do you do that? Why do you live like that? So live loud for him. Advertisements for Jesus. So we can be sandwich boards for Christ. I like that. Um, you, are writ you are writing a gospel, a chapter every day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? They're watching, guys. The Spirit wants to write a new version of his word on your heart. This is good stuff in chapter 3 this morning, but are you allowing him to write these truths on your heart? Or are you here this morning just because you had to go? It's what the spouse wanted. Or I'm a good child of God and I have to go to church to be right. <laughs> or are you here in a place, God, do what you want? Write your word upon my heart. Change me. Change me, Lord. Will you let him? I guess that's the big question. Because you guys know you can grieve the Holy Spirit, right? Aren't we warned not to do that in the Bible? We need to yield. Do not grieve him. So what are your thoughts when I say you may be the only letter from Christ that some people will read? I don't like that. Can't they read their letter instead? <laughs> You are the fragrance of Christ. If you are in Jesus, whether you like it or not, you are the fragrance of Jesus. Now let's look at being <laughs> in a place of uh, death, from death to life here. Look at verse four. We have such trust through Christ towards God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from who? From God. Our dependency, guys, is on God. In verse 6 it says, who also made us sufficient as ministers. You guys know what minister means? Servant. We've all been given ministry. I'm not the only minister in this room. Okay? We are all under rowers, servants to the Most High. That's what we're called to. So we've been given uh, ministry, 
of the new covenant, not of the letter, not of the law, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So verse 6, our sufficiency being from God. At one time, you guys know that Paul, he tried to find his sufficiency in his pedigree. His background, all of his education. Look at me, I'm the man. We'll get into that later in Corinthians. But we often work overtime to get people to notice us, don't we? Look what I achieve. Look what I do. Right? We want to show them that we're adequate. Look at how great I am, what I can accomplish. Okay? I'm competent. I'm gifted. I'm important. Dr. Churchill. <laughs> that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? It's not important how people see us, guys. It's important how they see him. Amen? Amen. Often our, impress, or our impressive qualifications and accomplishments, they only obscure our view. That's all it does. This new covenant spoken of. In the Greek, it has two main or two words that are used for new. There's neos, okay? That is a new in point of time. It's like a young person because they're a young comer into the world. A new person, right? And then there's kainanis, which is new in quality. It brings something fresh into a situation. And this is the word that's used here. And that's kind of cool to get a grasp on and to understand. So again, how could the old covenant, <laughs> a deadly thing, you know, um, what, what, <laughs> what is it there for? Because if we know it in verse 6, it kills, right? The law. The letter kills. Okay, it's a ministry of death according to verse 7. And in verse 9, did you guys catch? It's a ministry of condemnation. And yet I have people say, hey, Landon, you need to keep the law. It's awesome that you believe in Jesus, but you also need to do this and keep the Sabbath and blah, 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 blah. The list goes on and on and on. Because if you're going to live by the law, you're going to have to do all 613 of them that are found in the Old Testament. The problem is, guys, the law was never given to impart life. So when we have legalists come around us and say, hey, I'm glad to hear you're a Christian. But did you know you still have to do this, 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 this? We gotta be very careful. Or have them read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Or have them read Galatians. Or heck, just have them read the New Testament. Duh. But the problem is our flesh, isn't it? Because our flesh likes law. Look what I can do. Even though you can't keep it all. You obviously fall in you know, some point, but our pride is an ugly thing. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And there's no New Testament. There's new new covenant without grace. And we are to live upon grace, upon grace, upon grace, upon grace. So because, guys, 
the law, it produced, you know, this legal relationship between God and man. It basically said, keep the laws if you want to maintain a relationship with God. That's what it taught. God was the judge. Man was the criminal forever in default before God's bar of judgment. So the Old Testament law was deadly because it killed hope. And what happens when that happens? We're just frustrated, aren't we? Where's the hope? How can we go on without hope? It kills life. It only brought condemnation. And the law killed strength because it only could tell a person what to do but never give them the power to do it. Are you guys getting what Paul's laying down for you and I here? Do you guys get how important the new covenant is? You see, the new covenant is so different. It is a relationship of love. It is no longer this judge-criminal relationship, but is now this father-son relationship. Aren't you guys so glad that Jesus said, when you pray, say, our father. That was radical for the Jewish people. In the Old Testament, they referred to God as father. Once Israel, well, father, what? That wasn't what they did. But Jesus said, when you pray, new covenant, because of the new covenant, you can have this relationship with him. It changes a man, not imposing new law, but changes the heart. And it not only tells man what to do, but it also gives power to do it via the Holy Spirit. You guys see how radically different the new covenant is. The old covenant wasn't a bad thing. It was a step in the right way. But when the sun rises, the lamp is no longer needed, guys. Okay? If I catch you outside walking around with a lamp in the middle of the day, I'm going to think you're missing something. Okay? You don't see the full picture. It's not needed any longer. Let's look at verse 7. We're going to see the fading glory. Okay? New covenant. There's a lasting glory. Verse 7 says, But if we minister of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Because the glory that, or of the glory that excels, for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadfastly at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, the first five books of the Bible, the law, a veil lies on their hearts. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Keep your finger here. Flip back to Exodus chapter 34 with me. We're going to read a little bit of this background. And I've been reading with Uriah. We're going through the Bible in a year. And we just read, I just read through Exodus chapter 34 uh, just a couple days ago. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is so cool. Because we've seen the glory of the Lord shown to the children of Israel through the book of Exodus, right? They were set free from Egypt, okay? Crazy plagues went down. They were in bondage and slavery there for 400 years. And God delivered them the parting of the sea. Whoa, this is rad, God, right? And then there they see a pillar of fire by night and this cloud by day. God is moving among them and leading them and providing for them from heaven this manna, like supernatural things. Moses is taking a stick and hitting a rock and water coming. What is going on? This is pretty cool, God. You're glorious. This is awesome. And even Moses, he goes up to get the big tent on the mountain and his face glows. What? Isn't that cool? Wouldn't it be cool if our faces just glowed? That's what Moses, well, let's read. Exodus 34. We're going to pick it up, verse 29. It says, now it was so. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, when he had came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone that they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near and gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And Moses had finished speaking with them. He put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take a veil off until he came out. And when he would come out to speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. In verse 35, and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went out to speak with him. Now, guys, there definitely was a glory in the Old Testament. Okay, the temple, the priesthood, the ceremonies, the awesome revelations of God's power, right? That cloud, that pillar of fire, all those things. But it didn't compare to the glory of the new covenant, which grows more and more glorious, okay? Moses' glory fade, okay, that glory. Now, you can jot down Proverbs 4, verse 18. It says, the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter onto the perfect day. Don't you guys want to shine more and more for Jesus? Greater glory. I see so many Christians, it's kind of like a roller coaster. Come to faith in Christ. I grow and then it kind of plateaus, and then back to the old ways of life. Don't you guys want to finish that race well? Don't you want to keep growing? We're exhorted to be in the light as he's in the light. Okay? 
that's just for a short season of my Christian life. No, we should be getting closer to him. Augustine said this, we do wrong to the Old Testament if we deny that it comes from the same just and good God as the new. On the other hand, we do wrong to the New Testament if we put the Old Testament on a level with it. Do you guys understand how much greater the New Testament is? Do you understand that the Old Testament points to the new? All the prophets spoke to the new. All the prophecies of God, the Messiah, all that he would accomplish with the new. It points to the new. That's what it does. We don't ignore the Old Testament. We love, how many of you guys actually enjoy the Old Testament more than the New? We appreciate it. We totally get the New Testament. But the Old Testament is so good because it's all about the New. It's all pointing to Jesus. That's why it's hard when we read this stuff. It's just like, hey, there's a veil that remains on these Jews today. Like, how can they... They're the ones who have the Old Testament. That's what they read. That's what they have to memorize. And it's all about Jesus. Everything's pointing to Jesus. They're Messiah. They know those scriptures. It couldn't be any clearer. Who else fulfilled all those prophecies? There's only one, and it was Jesus. Why are they blind? Come next week. We're going to look at chapter 4 together. But this explains a little bit for you and I. Back to the glory for a moment. I want you guys to picture glory as light. The stars, the moon have their certain shine at night, but when the sun comes up in the morning, these luminaries, they pale in comparison, right? You know, hey, look at those stars out there right now. I can't see them. Why? Because we have the sun. And that's the same thing. We have the sun. We have Jesus. That's why the old, the law, all it did was point us to Jesus. So why? Because the glory of the sun outshined the moon and the stars. And then we're told here in verse 13 that it's passing away. Why do you think Moses covered his face there in Exodus 34? Well, Paul lets us know that Moses covered himself not because the people were scared of his glow, but so that the people couldn't see it fading away. That's why. But God never meant for it to stay. It was supposed to fade before the bounding glory of the gospel. You guys understand that? It's all about Jesus. So verses 14, 15, and 16, there's a spiritual application for you and I concerning Moses' veil. There is still a veil over the hearts that keep people from seeing Jesus. And the scriptures are locked book to the heart that knows not Christ. And next week, we're going to see in chapter 4, verse 4, exactly why that is, okay? So I encourage you to come out. And again, we're going to be in chapter 5 in two weeks from now. I would encourage you, if there's someone you've been sharing with, invite them to church the next couple of weeks. The gospel is so, cl it's clear everywhere in the Bible. You guys ever catch that? Like even here this morning, it's just like, hey, it's all about this new covenant. It's all about what Jesus accomplished it's all about what God planned from the get-go. All right, let's wrap this up here this morning. 
We're going to look at verse 17 and 18. This is from bondage to freedom, okay? I don't know about you guys, but this is a verse that we love here at Freedom Fellowship. It says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, I have to say this, guys. Verse 17 is a passage that is grossly misused and misquoted um, to have this loose, free-for-all life for the Christian. Again, you guys understand how important context is. There's a lot of bad preaching today. Oh, they might use scripture, but it's out of context. Okay, that's why I've lost hair. Okay, I'm just like, seriously, preacher? (laughs) That's a great scripture, but that's not what it means. Read the context. And that's why there's safety for you and I. This morning, we have the context of 2 Corinthians. We've been reading the whole book We understand what verse 17 is speaking about. You understand, guys, he gives us liberty, this freedom from spiritual bondage. That's what he's speaking about. Legalism sucks. Be careful. Don't go back to the law. That's what he's telling us. And we are spiritual. We are free from that legalism. You see, the Old Testament brought about bondage. You can jot down Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear? Why do we do that? And the church is still doing that today, isn't it? There is so much legalism within the body of Christ. Why? Because of pride. Because we are blind. Because the second we start living by the law, our eyes are on what? What we can do. And if our eyes are on us, who are they off of? That's why we're exhorted to fix our eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. It is him. We look to him. We keep our eyes on him. But if I don't have the laws, I'm going to end up sinning. I'm going to do those bad things. No, if you're looking to Jesus, you're not going to be doing stupid things. You won't be sinning. You're sinning when you're looking at yourself. Do you understand that? We are sinful people. Even when we have the law, we still fall short of the glory of God. We still break the law. Now, Freedom is not a license, guys. It's a freedom from fear, isn't it? It's a freedom from sin. Should we continue to sin so grace can abound? Absolutely not. Guys, we're free from the world. We're free from this legalistic, religious structure, practice. God has set us free. You guys have heard me say this before. I want you to be the freest people upon the planet. Free to be who God's created you to be. You understand that legalism, law, it just weighs you down. 
because you're fixated on that rather than looking to Jesus and following him where he wants you to go. Galatians 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the law. You stand in Christ. So freedom. You guys ever had a bird get in your house? How many? Okay. How many of you guys are fast like me and you were able to catch that bugger right away? Yeah, it doesn't happen, right? I had to chase that bird around and around and around and around and around and around some more. I was wiped, but finally the bird was wiped too and gave up. And I didn't just squish the bird. What did I do? I gently grabbed the bird and took it outside to set it free. Okay? Verse 18 here. Do you know the only reason you are here instead of heaven? The only reason? To be transformed. Is that your thing in this life? To be more like Jesus. So often, guys, we get our eyes fixated on something else. I want that new I want my kids to be, I want my marriage to look like, or is your one thing, I want to be more like Jesus. Is that the goal? Because according to verse 18, this is what life's about, guys. We come to the cross, confessing our own inadequacy, and we go away claiming only his adequacy. Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. So here we have the meaning of sanctification and growing in grace. And isn't that what we're called to? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how long does it take to become a Christian? Anybody know? I think it's the fastest thing that happens. The the millisecond that you believe, you put your faith in Christ, you're a Christian. You don't need confirmation class. You don't need somebody to say you're good to go. It's the second you believe. The second. Think about that. In a moment. That's called justification, right? You guys are taught here. We don't know what justification is. Just as if we never sinned. That's how God looks at a child of his. Someone who's in Christ. Those who put their faith in him believe the gospel. You're justified. But over a lifetime, there's going to be sanctification. Okay? I have some older brothers that I love, that I see regularly, that I get to pray with. And you know they all still struggle with sin. There's a beautiful humility there. That's why they're willing to pray with me. Because they know they still need God. A dependency. And the cool thing I love about this group of men, they want to be more like Jesus. They know they're being sanctified. They know there's growing to be had. 
And some of them have been in ministry for decades. And they still haven't arrived. I take heart in that. Because I told you guys, I'm critical on myself. But I understand that it's a work in progress. That God is faithful to complete that work that he's begun, Philippians 1.6. You guys, he is sanctifying us. Allow him to do that work. Be moldable. Don't be hard. Don't you guys, you guys ever have a class where you had to make something out of clay when you were in school, right? Did you guys ever get one of those little lumps in your clay? Like it had to be kneaded out? It's like, you suck. You're wrecking my pot. <laughs> nah, I just want to get rid of you, you know? But that's not what a potter does. They'll work with it and work it out. And I, I'll, I'll tell you guys the truth. I got a lot of hard, hard spots in my life. My wife says I need to be done. Thanks, babe. I asked her to tell me when time's up. Some people like to preach. Um, I'll close with this. It's interesting. The God of miracles isn't into instant discipleship. And this is something I want to be speaking to on a regular basis with our church family. Discipleship is important. We want to be disciples who are making disciples. All of us are called to this. So let's take that calling seriously. Let's be gracious towards one another because it takes time. Relationships are hard sometimes, but we want to pour into each other. Heaven never hangs a sight. Overnight transformations inquire within. Okay, God's not into overnight makeovers. Okay, it's over a lifetime of transformation. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that whom you foreknew, you've also predestined to be conformed to your image. God, and we want to say yes to you. Please, God, do that work in our lives. Keep changing us to be more like you. Keep us close to you, God, so that can easily happen. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for sanctification and glorification. We look so forward to the day we finally get to see you face to face. But we know that we're here for a reason, that you are changing us. and We want to reflect our relationship with you. God, the realities of this new covenant well to the world that people would inquire what makes us different? It's you, Jesus. You touched our lives. We thank you so much for all that you're up to. I thank you, Father, for what I see in my Freedom family here. God, they're looking more and more like you all the time, and I pray for a grace for all of us that you keep changing us, God. Make us more like you. I pray in your name. Amen? Amen.